Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us, and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Hello and welcome to Zerah Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and empowering you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. As always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Uh, you can follow us on all our social media. On Twitter, show handle is at Zerah Radio personal handle is at Lorenzo T. Neal. Uh, we are on Facebook, Zira Radio, uh, Zira Network on Facebook, Dr. Lorenzo Neal on Facebook, and wherever else you can find us, we are there, and we are thankful for you, our listeners. Yes, it is 2023. We are excited. We we were on a hiatus most of 2022. We had a lot going on, and um, we decided to focus on some personal issues, personal things um, that were that were just really, really tra- testing and challenging. So we did not do a lot in 2022. Uh, we do hope to be a little bit more, a little better in 2023 yeah, as you help us to do so. And before I go further, please, uh, website has been is being revamped. All of that, we, we're going through a whole creative <laughs> restructuring. So bear with us as we try to restructure uh, the entirety of our digital presence, the digital uh, side of what I have been doing. But it's been a lot. And I don't know. I don't even know if I've been on since uh, I, if you didn't know, I am engaged. I will be married. I will be getting married next month, March 2023. I'm excited about that. Wonderful fiance and soon to be children, stepchildren. I'm excited about it. And uh, (laughs) we'll be sharing updates with you as time goes on. And um, so, yeah, like I say, it's been major adjustments happening in the life of Dr. Neal. But nonetheless, we are here and we are going to do what we always do as best as we can and if you do it as as someone says we might do it just a little better next time <laughs> anyway 2023 welcome to the first day of february black history month among another a lot of things 
And so we will be discussing in, uh, uh, the subject of black history. Uh, but, you know, we're starting off in a volatile, a volatile uh, month already. Starting off a volatile month with volatile reactions. We're going to get into that. We want to um, we we are going to talk about the Tyree Nichols situation. Uh, we explain expand on the thought of Black Lives Matter uh, three years later, and um, of course integrate that with Black violence and Black history, and all of that. Th- that's what we're going to try to focus on. I don't I don't know how we're going to do it, but uh, that is what we're going to be doing. It. Uh, those who are listening live. If you want to join in the conversation, you're welcome to do so. You can call 347-237-5230, or uh, I think there's a chat room that's going on. Uh, should be a chat. I, it's been a while, so we may not have any callers. We may not have anyone in the chat, but uh, just want to invite you to do that, to join the dialogue, join the conversation. There's so much that I have missed out on that I, I could have, I wish I would have been able to talk about uh, that happened over the last, you know, the latter part of 2022 and uh, just the month of January. But we are going to be discussing that uh, and we are going to, well, we're not going to be discussing that, but we're going to jump right into this topic here. Uh, I, I don't want to ramble too much. This may not be a long show at all uh, because, again, I'm trying to get back in the flow of getting the show together, um, all of that. We're we're in search of a new producer. So if you know someone who is interested in working in the digital platform and uh, radio and all of that, let us know. Like I said, we're just revamping all together, uh, and we're going to do what we do as best we can do. Anyway, so let's get into the topic of the day. It is Black History Month, shortest month of the year, but we get the opportunity just to highlight uh, black excellence. And usually, you know, they'll celebrate just a few. You'll hear about Martin Luther King. You'll probably hear about Malcolm X. You'll definitely hear about Rosa Parks. may hear about Frederick Douglass. You may hear about uh, other black thought leaders, black uh, black activists and engagement uh, leaders. Uh, but you know, some people in this day and age are equi- equating the teaching of black history and black heritage with critical race theory. And, and I'm bringing this up because if you remember. Uh, all throughout 2020 and 2021, there was this vague idea that was pushed by conservatives uh, regarding critical race theory and how it was um, it was damaging to the overall mental health of young children in the educational system. Put, public school education. And how was it damaging to them? Because it was making, uh, in their in their mind, it was constructing a framework in which some students were seen as victims and others as uh, antagonists. In other words, the white kids were being taught that they were children of privilege, children of racist 
and uh, in, in, uh, inherent ethnic racism or prejudice and all of that stuff. And black children were being taught that they were victims and that they were unable to pull themselves up by their own bootstrap, that they had to rely on uh, government intervention to (laughs) help them be self-actualized and self-aware. And this was pushed uh, even in the state of Mississippi. Um, Of course, you know, it was – it was in several southern states. Of course, there's always southern states or red states that are the primary protagonists of this and uh, promoters of of this because the way it's promoted, it's uh, constructed, it promoted. The idea is that teaching anything, and this is within the most broadest sense of the word, teaching anything about black empowerment and black liberation is socialist, it is communist, and it is dis, you know, it is destructive to the idea of what America really is and what it has become. For goodness sake, we elected a biracial man as president. He, we elected a black man in the person of Barack Hussein Obama as president of the United States, and he served two terms. So how in the world can America be a racist nation after having done that? The but counter that, we also saw the rise of the um, of the um, the counter movement to his election, of which I was a part. And in full disclosure, um, you know the idea that we didn't want to be taxed anymore, we didn't want to see government infringement in uh, anymore, we didn't want to see all the the debt that we were having. You know, it was all put within that framework, but the reality is that some of the persons who were involved in that counter-movement were uh, unintentional racists, and I can say that having been a part of that and having seen some of the people who were participants in that, even engaging with myself, who identified as a conservative Republican and was involved, and, and I thought by being a part and expressing the same language that they were expressing, that I would not only be received, but also per- perceived as on their side. But the reality is, you know, I was being used as a token. And I can say that now. In hindsight, because, you know, I thought the movement was going to be inclusive, and it it turned out pockets of it just were not so receptive to it. And, uh, you know, that has carried on over into various various, um, manifestations of that movement, you know. Is carried over. So you have the Freedom Caucus in the Congress. You have all these various conservative branches now that are pushing, and I do mean pushing against heavily against this idea of black history. And even when it comes to the imagery and the messaging of the the idealized person to reflect black history, and that is the person of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The way that they perceive him and the way that he actually was is completely different. And how they want him to be taught is completely different. They don't want to see the anti-war king, the king who was uh, 
protagonist for who is an advocate for an a, a equal wage, um, equal pay, equitable pay, but also a universal wage. He, he actually advocated for a universal wage, wage for all Americans, and he advocated for um, reparations. Now, we don't get taught that in school. Well, I got taught that in school, in high school, because the, 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 <laughs> I was taught by persons who were part of the movement, who, you know, were student leaders during the civil rights movement, who were in, intentional, intentionally fighting against the segregation that they were living in at the moment. You know, the school that I graduated from was formerly the colored high school that my grandparents and my parents graduated from. It was all black. And when I was there, it was predominantly black. We had one black, one white student at the high school, maybe a couple at the junior high school. In the neighborhood, the, uh, you know, all of my classmates, for the most part, we all went from elementary school to high school together with the exception of a few of us who were bused because of the busing laws of desegregation. We were bused to a integrated elementary school when we could have literally walked down the street to a predominantly black school. But that's neither here nor there. Um, it's the living history of integration and segregation that they don't want to be taught and i say that i say that respectfully you know um the way kids are being taught and i can understand this the way kids are being taught about black history is just that it was history it is not it is history it was not to be taught about it in our present construct because i live and pastor among people who actually had to live particularly in the civil rights days, who were not able to go to swimming pools, were not able to go to, uh, or they had restricted seating in movie theaters, or they had their own swimming pool, they had their own high schools and all of that, you know, and their children integrated schools. I, I, I have people who were the first students in integrated elementary schools, junior high schools, and high schools. Those are members of my congregation. So that's why I say it's a living history, and it's that living history that is is being frowned upon because it calls into accountability those same parties who may have engaged intentionally or unintentionally. Think about um, last year. Last last month or whenever it was that a photo of Cowboys owner uh, Jerry Jones came out with him as Little Rock Central in 1955, and I know the history, and I've been at Little Little Rock Central. I taught there uh, for a little bit when I was in uh, grad school, and um, I saw I got to see that historical. I not only got to see, I got to teach there, <laughs> you know, in the actual school, and it was completely different by that time. It was not, but, well, that's neither here nor there. But anyway, they had the picture of him there among the agitators of the black students, right? And in his defense, he said, hey, I was just a curious kid, you know. Everything was going on, I just peeked out and saw, which was probably the case of most of the the students there, 
you know, I'm quite sure Jerry Jones and many of his schoolmates had the same kind of reaction. What's it going to be like with these black folk here? What about us? What is it going to look like? How are we supposed to respond? You know, what's all the hubbub and fuss about? I'm quite sure he was not the only one there. I'm quite sure all the persons, not only one in the in the photograph, but also throughout the entirety of their student population, were the same. They were curious. They may not have been yelling out, but you're talking about a system that was being broken, torn apart by the federal government. And it is the same antagonist saying the federal government is doing the very similar thing right now, even though the federal government is not mandating uh, public schools to uh, teach whatever they are considered whatever is considered critical race theory they're not mandating it but the curriculum that it is being in state by state as these curriculum uh these state uh, departments of education are examining particularly the social science and social history classes social studies classes and seeing where it needs to be updated and upgraded to reflect you know how history actually was there's the pushback from that so as as i look through the prism of black history or black heritage or whatever they're going to call it for us because <laughs> we don't call it that ourselves you know we don't get to we don't have the privilege of of doing anything for ourselves uh that comes from supremacy the white supremacists and i'm saying that because <laughs> I know that it's coming across crazy right now, but when, within, the, within the construct and framework of black lives, that includes Black Lives Matter, the language, the uh, processes, and everything affiliated with that is not created by us. You know, we come up with the language, for, you know, we came up with the phrase Black Lives Matter. But the adaptation and practice of how to actualize that was not developed by us. It's credited to us. Well, by to us, I mean by the black women, black identifying women who are the primary figureheads for the the global movement, the actual in, incorporated movement, not the phrase alone. These persons, though they are the figurehead, and you, you already, if you kept up with the no, news, you already know how that has panned out for that organization. But the actualization, the language, and the processes, all that, that was not led or developed by black people. The history we are putting in the books is not developed by black, by black people. We have an oral tradition that once it becomes in written form, has to be quickly adapted for the masses. Therefore, in, in so many words, watering down the essence of who we really are and what we want to carry out and leave behind. And this is what is being promoted even among uh, those who are protagonists and advocates of critical race theory. 
This is what's being promoted, and this is terrible because what is real history for us, living history for us, cannot really be promoted the way it needs to be and should be. And, and you know, you'll see a few figureheads like Madam C.J. Walker or or um, who else I can think of, uh, Ida B. Wells and many other uh uh man i could i i could rattle off a lot on my head but i'm going blank so you know there there are a lot of black accomplishments and there are a lot of black firsts still happening right now for example next week <laughs> next sunday uh on the 12th super bowl sunday will be the first time in history two black quarterbacks will serve at the helm of the teams in the in the Super Bowl. And there have been plenty of black quarterbacks going back to Doug Williams, the first quarterback in Super Bowl history, to Doug, uh, what's his name, the first black coach to win. And, and even, then, even then, it was two black coaches, if you remember, uh, the Bears and the Colts. Was it who did he coach? Did he coach the Colts? But anyway, that year, two black head coaches went head to head. One has been lost to memory. Lovey, I think that's his name, has been lost to history because he lost. The winner has been elevated to legacy because he won. And it's the same thing. It's going to happen again, you know. And, and the interesting thing is that. We liken the newness of black history to a generation that has forgotten how much black history and how long black history expands, you know. Uh, I, and I got I to gotta give credence, uh, credit, credit to uh, some movies that have attempted to bring a greater sense of awareness to black history. Um, you know the most recent movie, and there was there was a, a a meme that I came across that of all the black movies that have been in recent history since the twentieth century, uh, a majority of them have been about slavery. The ones that were not about slavery were about the help, and, and literally one titled the help. The others have been about sports, biopics, and regarding you know sports. And very few, very few have been historically accurate. But that's the nature of, you know, the movies. You know, they're not intended to be. Uh, it's not intended to be historically accurate or anything like that. It's just for sales. That's what they do. And 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 that's how it is. But anyway. I, I got on that rant. The entirety of that rant was simply to say that while we are celebrating black history among the debate of critical race theory or through the lens for some people, critical race theory, the reality is our black children still have no real idea about their history, their living history, okay? Because for them and for me also, you know, it happened a long time ago, but then as I re- looked back over my life and I realized, you know, I was born during 
the time, you know, shortly after time of the, I was born during the time of, of burgeoning black movement, you know, as more black people were getting elected into Congress and um, other, you know, local uh, government as the rise of black creativity and music and movies, you know, the black exploitation movies and the rise of funk and all of that and how we dominated all of that. I was born during that time. I was also born, as as, as I said earlier, desegregation was still happening. Busing, busing was still in in law when I was in school. So kids being uh, who stayed across the street around the corner going to an entire separate school so that they could fulfill that <laughs> obligation to make sure that integration was working. And still, by the time I was teaching, by the time I was in the teaching uh, in my late 20s and early 30s, the schools that I taught at were still predominantly black. They were still segregated. I taught at a, <laughs> the, my last two teaching assignments uh, uh, were both the were both the only predominantly black schools in a large predominantly white school system and in some ways it was intentional they all and both of them received less money less funding and at both schools 95% of the students were on uh, uh, free or reduced lunch you know, so it was a title. Both of them were Title One schools. So, and that was what forty years, fifty years after all of this was supposed to happen. Uh, Sixty years after Brown versus the Board. Uh, you know, all of that. But when it comes down to Black history, when it comes to Black history, we, we as Black people, have to be responsible. Because it ain't going to happen on that side. It's not going to happen on that side. And the reason it's not going to happen on that side is because that side is too busy focusing on all the negative things being done to them or negative things that are inhibiting them from fully expressing what they think should not be, uh, should be expressed. I, that didn't even come out right. Scratch, strike that. <laughs> let me, let me. I'm gonna take you a break. I'm gonna take my, take a break, take a breath, and then I'm gonna come back, and we're gonna talk about uh, Black history uh, through the lens of Black lives and Black violence as we see the uh, not just outraged, but as we see the shift been brought to the lens or to the fun freight, fun, forefront by way of the Tyreek Nichols death. I got a lot to talk about, and we're going to see if we can get it all out. So take a break. We'll be right back.
The last two years have been trying for all of us, and many, including myself, have sought out help from the wonderful therapists at BetterHelp. With thousands of professional therapists available, you can get quality and affordable counseling from the luxury of your home on your computer, mobile device, or tablet from someone near you. Help right at your fingertips with BetterHelp.com. You may find it hard to believe, but at one point in your life, you're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID Shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield? Yeah, they pretty much cover the plan by itself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. You're listening to Zira Today with Dr. Lorenzo Neal. Hello and welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal. Thank you so much for thinking. And I, Robert, is joining us today as we promote a knowledge that is engaging and transforming. And we invite you, if you haven't done so, support us. Become a patron today. Go to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal. Sign up for one of the tiers. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us do what we do, baby. And we appreciate you so much for doing that. Let's get into the topic of the day again. As we talk about black history, this month of black history, black heritage, we celebrate the wonderful achievements and excellence that blacks have contributed, not just in the state, in the country, but across the world. For millennia, blacks have contributed greatly to the development of both the Western and the Eastern civilizations. We are the congratulate them. We ought to pat ourselves on the back. We are living sacrifices. We are we are the world changers. We are the people. And even among oppressed, uh, under oppression, we did so much with so little. So that's why I'm one of the, uh, that's one of the reasons why I celebrate black heritage, my heritage, and I'm glad about it. Anyway, so over the last several weeks, we've been here in the States, we've been watching the news and hearing about the terrible tragedy of a young man named Tyree Nichols. Tyree Nichols was um, arrested, pulled over by Memphis Police Department for a minor violation, according to some, but ended up 
getting brutally beat by police officers of his own <laughs> heritage and succumbing to the wounds from that from that engagement and that encounter. So there are primarily five officers who were arrested, uh, well, who were put on first, put uh, on suspension because of it. Later, uh, they were fired, and all five now have been charged in, uh, in the assault on Tyree Nichols. Today, Tyree Nichols will be laid to rest. Uh, his funeral is scheduled to begin in a couple of hours in Memphis. Uh, on slate to be present are Vice President Kamala Harris, Al Sharpton, and many other notable um, political figures, religious figures, and, and guests. Now, let me put a pause here. Anytime a black man's death, and I do mean a black man's death, uh, gets significant public notoriety, is always a bad sign for me. It's a bad sign because, one, it says that it takes uh, a great national, a great tra tragedy to bring attention uh, to outside people about the plight of black Americans, of black men in America. Two, it only demonstrates a full a false representation of sympathy and empathy to the family and uh, to the black community because these are the times that celebrities will speak out and public figures will attend a funeral of people that they don't even know just to say that they um, did so, and I can't blame them because there have been times that I, as a pastor, I've done the same thing. I've attended funerals of people I didn't know out of you know respect of the means and the manner by which they lost their life. So I'm not knocking that part. I completely understand it. But I also know that once these people are gone, the family still has to deal with the tragedy of their loss. They still, in this case, would still have to do deal with the engagement of the local police department. How will they engage them? You know, and as black men, they the black men in that community, particularly in Memphis, but across the country, now have a greater sense of fear. Just to be honest, about how an encounter with a local law enforcement officer would turn out for them. It, and here in the city of Jackson, Mississippi, we have what's known as the Capital uh, Complex and Improvement District. And the Capital Complex Improvement District, it, it, it includes all the state capital buildings, offices, etc. But last year, uh, they the legislature, along with the city of Jackson, agreed to expand that district for wider uh, capital complex police to patrol because crime had gotten pretty much out of hand um, around that area. 
crimes were committed at the state fairgrounds by young black men, unfortunately. Crimes were being committed in the areas surrounding immediate, the immediate adjoining community, which just happened to be uh, a uh, upper middle class, middle class to upper middle class community with a with two two private uh, universities in that area where uh, violent carjackings were happening. And so the city and the government collaborated together to say, yes, we'll allow you to expand this improvement district and the patrol for the Capitol Police to this particular, you know, a little past the normal patrolling areas. But what has happened in the months that this Capitol Police have been patrolling, there have been increased, not only increased incidents of police assault, but increased incidents of officer-involved shootings, increased incidents of complaints against the uh, protocol, I guess you can see, of the officer, the Capitol Police. Uh, and, and now the governor, uh, along with state legislators, conservative state legislatures, are seeking to expand <laughs> that particular off that particular entity's breach into the city, broach into the city, however you want to say it. Uh, and it's concerning because you know, as a black man, I'm just going to be a bit transparent here. I still, when <laughs> when there's a police car behind me, there's a tension that comes up, and I'm like, okay, I got to make sure I do everything right. I got to make sure I follow all the traffic reg- regulations because I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. No person should live with that fear. No person should live with that anxiety. But myself and many other black men, we know <laughs> we we know of the stories and the horror stories of driving while black. All right? That's a real thing. And I know people don't want to think about it. And I know even for my conservative brothers and myself, as I talk about it, it, sometimes we don't want to just say, okay, this is a real thing. But we know it is happening. And we have more evidence of it happening no matter what the ethnicity of race of the law enforcement officer. It can still end up tragic, like in the case of Tyree Nichols and all the five African-American officers, law enforcement officers, who have now been indicted for his death. 2020, we saw the big movement of the Black Lives Matter movement because of the death of George Floyd, which even some conservatives, uh, including uh, the late, great Rush Limbaugh, before he passed, he lamented that this happened. I, and I remember listening to that particular uh, broadcast as he spoke on with the persons from uh, the um, DJs from the Breakfast Club. And he is, I, I want to say it was the Breakfast Club, I believe. But anyway, he talked about it. He couldn't believe how, how that could happen and, you know, things like that. He was disgusted by it. There were almost nine minutes of this incident. And although he did not share the sentiment specifically of those parties uh, promoting Black Lives Matter, and, and although he could be seen as a person who, who quote unquote, black back the blue, uh, you know, he lamented what happened to George Floyd. And you would think 
this would be happening now. And unfortunately, we still had some talking heads coming on, you know, who were saying, you know, police should still, you know, they got to be held accountable. But, you know, the question was, why did he run? Why didn't he just follow the the commands of the officers, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Uh, And the police, we stand by the police. And then the release of the Excuse me. Uh, reports by the police contradict the statements uh, or contradict the actual actual actions in the field. And black activists have been saying this for decades. I mean, this for decades, decades they've been saying, look, you can believe the police all you want to, but we know what the police are doing. And at the, at the time, this included black police officers, you know, for whatever reason. And I have my brother, my baby brother was a police officer in our local hometown who, unfortunately, he has to have you, he has had to use force against his own, you know. It is what it is. When you commit a crime, you resist arrest, you do anything, and he has to take you down, he's going to have to take you down. He had to do that. I guess some of, you know, some some people he probably even knew. I don't know. But the large people, you know, where he patrolled, where we grew up, <laughs> where he patrolled is who he patrolled. And a lot of times, you know, you just had to do what you had to do. But anyway, when it, when it comes to to the black on black crime and I and I used to be a proponent of this, you know. Yeah, black on black crime is just like white on white crime. It's the same. More people more white people are killed by the police than black people. And true, that's statistically true. That is statistically true that more white people killed at the hands of law enforcement than black people. That is statistically true. It's also statistically true that more white people commit crimes against white people, more black people commit crimes against black people, more Asians commit crimes against Asian people, as we saw just two weeks ago in California, where both of the shootings that were considered mass shootings were carried out by Asian persons of Asian descent. Right? You see how quick that was? has been swept under the rug. Uh, there's been no Asian hate propaganda or anything like that. And same here with the Tyree Nichols case. Uh, we have not seen damaging protests and peaceful protests for the most part. Uh, all have been peaceful. There's been no rioting, no looting, nothing like that. Why? Is it because, and I'm just, this is pure speculation, because the officers were black and the Scorpion unit, unit that these officers were a part of have been complicit in a number of law enforcement violations in that particular community and city of Jack, uh, Nashville, I mean Memphis, <laughs> for a number of years? Is it because the black community has always been aware that these persons, these law officers that are part of that unit sometimes have a power trip against their own? And while there's been speculation that one party, one of the officers uh, had, you know, this was more revenge because of uh, a personal vendetta, that has yet to been verified. Uh, But you know how media is and and social media in particular, they're just going to run with it and verify later, validate later, just run with it because, you know, we need the headlines. But as we look at 
this through the lens of black violence and black history. We know, and this, you know, there's no way you can argue this. We know historically blacks have suffered at the hands of law enforcement for centuries. As long as there's been a law enforcement, there's been a law enforcement agency to ensure uh, stricter penalties for blacks. Matter of factly, you know, um, post-Reconstruction, many of the southern states created constitutions keeping, you know, this in effect. That some are still in effect now, disenfranchising them from the voting process, uh, ensuring that their felony status cannot be lifted, even if it can be pardoned by a governor or 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 a president, they will still find a way to infringe upon that person's rights. So we we know we there's no disputing that. There's no disputing that black men largely have been uh, the victims of white vigilante justice under the complicit uh, eye of white law enforcement. We can name, I mean, we, we can list black men and black women who have been lynched by lynch mobs authorized by law enforcement. So so we don't want to play like that doesn't have hasn't happened. At the same time, we know that for a vast majority of states, the prison population is filled with black men who have committed crimes, some minor misdemeanor and you know, they have the uh three strike rule and they're there for life. Others are felonies that are justifiable for their incarceration. We we know that. Can't argue that. Okay. And I'm not trying to argue. But we also know for for a lot of black men that the legal system, including law enforcement, is skewed towards negative engagement with them. It's just the way it is, including, as we see, with our own black law enforcement officers. It is it's a double consciousness, as W.E.B. DeWar talked about. You know, it's a different kind of double consciousness. We we live in this this double consciousness where, in one way, uh, we have to walk the line, the line of of if you're a law enforcement officer carrying out the law and at the same time trying to balance the fact that you're black carrying out the law and it, for those persons who are involved in it it is a I'm quite sure it is a challenging balance I know it was for my brother I'm quite sure it is for many other black law enforcement and then you know when you look at Cities like Myron, Jackson, Mississippi, Memphis, and other uh, predominantly black populated cities with predominantly black uh, city leadership that includes mayor, that includes police chief, fire chiefs, and all of that. And yet we still see a high 
of violence, gun violence, domestic violence, um, assault, I'm not even saying assaults and things of that nature. And the question is, what is what is happening or not happening that is allowing this violence to continue to grow? And it's in every major city. You know, no city is no city. And I do mean exactly what I said. No city is immune from it. All right. No major populated African-American city is, is immune from it. Right now in Atlanta, they're protesting uh, this new police complex that will be a training complex or whatever it is. I, I, I forgot they're protesting that. Why? Because to them, to that community, it's going to negatively affect black people. To others, it's going to be positive for law enforcement. It's going to help them better engage that community. But you're talking about a trauma that is so ingrained in the minds and behaviors of black people to avert police altogether, if possible. It's ingrained in us. It's even, you know, it's ingrained in us so much we, we, we can convey it in our popular media, through our movies. We can joke about it in comedy. We can sing about it, rap about it. Because it's a reality, and when gangster rap came out in the latter part of the 80s, you know, late 80s, early 90s, when gangster, part, gangster rap was at its peak, and I'm talking about uh, NWA, you know, the DOC, Ice-T, when they were making those, those uh, songs about negative police interaction, right? It was because they were reflecting what was actually going on in their communities. And yes, it could be argued that some of them were making it up. Some didn't have that lived experience. And we know a lot of <laughs> – we know that to be true because we had a movie that was made about that, CBD, that was made about <laughs> – that was made as a parody of the fact that there were persons who had no real lived uh, experience like that rapping about that but hey it is what it is but that is where we are when we talk about black history we talk about black lives matter and we talk about the black the black history of that the history of black violence when it comes to law enforcement and engagement of law enforcement even though we have faces like ours in the higher rankings of law enforcement we still see Brutality like this carried out by faces like ours, and the media is going to touch on it, and they're going to move over it because it wasn't white officers with a black man; it was black officers and a black man. So therefore, what are black folk going to do about it? What are we going to do? We're not going to do anything about it because when we try to address it, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to come back to those persons who have the authority to make change. When we make the suggestions of how it can be changed, what would be a significant shift in policing in our communities, it will be ignored because that, that will come from us on how we know how to police ourselves. 
And as I said earlier in the in the broadcast, we can't do nothing for ourselves. We're not allowed. We can have the idea, but the practice, the process, the articulation of that does not come from us. And until it comes from us, we're going to continue to see the same thing happen over and over and over and over. It's a sad state, but that's just me. That's just me. Your opinion might be different. I'd love to hear your opinion. Leave a comment. Let me know and engage with me if you have a very, you know, a differing of opinion. For those listening outside of the country, I know there are many other uh, things that you could probably contribute uh, where policing is, is different for you. But, hey, I'm talking here in the States, you know, to my international listeners, it is what it is. But anyway, that's all I got to say. I, I've overdone my time in this. I appreciate you guys for listening. I'm going to get out of here. I didn't intend to be on here this long. Uh, but um, it, it is what it is, and thank you so much for listening. Make sure that you share this broadcast. Like, uh, Go to Zero Network on Facebook. Like that page. Share this broadcast. Support us on Patreon. Go to my website, LorenzoTNeal.org, as we, con- we construct this and rebuild and go back and get you know get ready for a full uh relaunching in 2023 we're excited i hope you're excited be looking out for more things as we go out into 23 god bless you guys thank you so much have a great 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 day and week and month and i'll talk with you later